Hey everybody, welcome back to the Breaking Western Podcast. We are in season three. I wish I could roll my R's. That'd be so much cooler. You can. There it is. There it is. Touching on marketing and media this season from one side of the Western industry to the other and all the places in between. Today is, as we like to say, no exception. Abby, who are we talking to today? To be honest, I feel like our guest today is a bit of an enigma. He's someone that a lot of people follow, but unless you're following his personal account, you rarely see his face. You just see, what do the kids call it? His dank memes. Dank memes. (laughs) Did I just become 80 years old? I don't know. But he he does a lot of amazing stuff. Wake and Bake Radio. He's got... Honestly, the most bomb-ass merch store I've maybe yes. ever seen Yes, is starting a really cool vintage project. I am just in awe of someone who has a mind that works like that. <laughs> they make me laugh out loud every time. Uh, I think I've said enough. Today, we have the original country DJ party host, twanging and banging <laughs> since 2007, the disco cowboy himself, David Wrangler. That was a great introduction. Thank you. And I'm going to roll right into <laughs> my commentary on your introduction. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned the meme thing. And whenever someone asks me, so, like, what is Vinyl Ranch exactly? Like, I kind of, like, oh, you make T-shirts? Or, oh, you, you're a meme page? Or, oh, I thought you just threw parties. Or I thought you did something else. And it's kind of funny because anytime somebody discovers Vinyl Ranch... It's usually they're at their own point on the line, so they'll just kind of discover one facet of it and mm-hmm. have completely in the dark to the other the other offerings or the other parts of the brand. So it's uh, it's funny that you mentioned memes. That it was I was curious to hear your introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Did I get a passing um, grade? <laughs> all of those things are true. Twang and a bang since '07. Straight out of Houston. Um, yeah, Vinyl Ranch started in Houston. It's a an urban cowboy homage, but also an homage to Saturday Night Fever disco era in New York City. Mm. Also an homage to kind of like Nashville, the classic Nashville aesthetic and sound. And uh, I could go in 50 directions. Well, and I, I, let's so, go in all of them because I think that's what's <laughs> so interesting is that there are so many, like you said, so many facets mm-hmm. to what you do. There's all of these little pieces that if you were to look at them individually I don't think you would really be able to understand how they all fit together. So tell us, like, tell us who you are, what you do, how you got here. What is Vinyl Ranch? How did that evolve? Long story, way long. And this is a long form conversation. So we will, this will be long story long. Let's get into it. Vinyl Ranch is a lifestyle brand. Primarily, it's my lifestyle and it's my life. So all I'm really doing is living my life and sharing it with other people. Via all of these amazing gadgets and media outlets that we have now that are in, you know, that we shoot, we shoot from the hip, shoot from our pockets. Um, but it really started, it really started as just, I'll just talk about Vinyl Ranch, the beginning of, beginnings of Vinyl Ranch, really. Um, I threw myself a birthday party when I was 27 years old. And at that point, I was a nightclub DJ and I was DJing rap music, electronic music indie music, all sorts of things, kind of all in this this spicy pot of gumbo. So if you came to one of my parties back then, I was mostly <laughs> kind of all over the place and serving you all kinds of music, and it was a good time. Um, so my friend Lee Walker and I, who I worked with at this little coffee shop in, near downtown Houston, 
Um, he was a bassist in this really popular indie rock band. He was a sick, he was the most peculiar dude. The first time I met him, I was like, this guy's really special. He's six foot seven. He's from Argentina. He is just like this really oddball guy, but he knew so much about country music, but you never mm. would have, never in a million years associated this guy with country music. But uh, him and I created this party together, and it was supposed to just, it was supposed to be a one off event. Call, and we came up with the name Vinyl Ranch. Um, and then it just kind of became this this local... I mean, this is pre-social media, this is 07. So I think we had a MySpace... Yeah, we definitely... We had a MySpace page. That was our social media flex at that point. <laughs> um, there, there was no yeah, Twitter, was. pre-Instagram, pre-all that stuff. So it was word of mouth. It was old school marketing. It was, we're going to go find the, the dopest poster designer we know. We're going to make the coolest poster and we're going to hit all the independent record stores and coffee shops and cafes and all the spots where cool kids hung out. We wanted cool kids at our parties. So we had this single event first and we had no plans to do it again. And then two months, you know, over the next month or two, we had people beating down doors, emails, local press was messaging me. Like we heard about this crazy country DJ party. Like who does that? So we've never heard of this. So we essentially created this, this DJ party that was a mashup of my idea was, okay, I know how to DJ records in a nightclub and I know how to rock a party. And I have some country records and I came up in a country music family. Um, and Lee's contribution was, you know, he had his own contribution. So we, we showed up and did this party in this, this really nasty bar, like kind of near the Greyhound station in Houston, downtown. And that paints a picture for anybody who lives in a Anytime you go near the Greyhound station, it's just a little peculiar. Nine times out of, <laughs> nine, out of nine, it's pretty peculiar. <laughs> and, um, so we did this party at, at a bar called Leon's Lounge, and it was one of those spots where you could get like a dollar fifty red dog tall boy. And they had shuffleboard, bikers hung out there, burnouts hung out, uh, burnt out, and um, people that were getting <laughs> off the Greyhound bus from Huntsville State Penitentiary. We're also hanging out there. And then wow. all of our hipster friends, like the, you know, the real hipsters, like 2006. <laughs> the OG hipsters. Yeah. This reminds yeah. me of like this outlaw country meets like a big city millennials. <laughs> exactly. What's, what's so funny is um, we, we didn't do anything intentionally. We were just living our expression in real time. So there was no premeditation. There was no... We're going to go cook this thing up in a lab and it, here, here it is. We were just not, not to say, not to make any comments about pre social media reality, but there, there was less, I don't want to say less thought, but the, things were just more organic. They mm. weren't, they weren't so manufactured or mm-hmm. engineered the way that they seem to be now. Um, so I'm, I grew up, I'm 41 years old. I was born in 1979, and I wear that shit on my on my chest, on my heart. Um, I'm the last disco baby. <laughs> I mean, not, 1979 was kind of when the plane veered downward towards the ground. It crashed and burned shortly shortly after. But um, yeah, so I grew up with 90s hip hop culture and remix culture, and I was always kind of a student by proxy of remix culture, just by and large, just living it. Um, not having to study it, just kind of like being a part of it, uh, being inside of the snow globe. And I always thought that, you know, country music 
moving forward that I could create a project where it's like, okay, nobody is really examining this huge um, canon of like pop culture with country music. So I'm going to examine that under the lens of a remix artist. And that's kind of how uh-huh. Ranch began. And I didn't, it took me, it was, it took a few years of that, uh, uh, a few years of, of Vinyl Ranch for me to have enough hindsight to recognize that that's what I was doing. I didn't do it intentionally. It's just, that's what was happening at the time. I was remixing rap music and club music. And that's kind of what I was known for. I was kind of a popular around that time, like a pretty popular blog. I don't know if you remember music blogs, Mm -hmm. but I was a big remixer in that era of music, of dance music, indie music, indie rock. So if you, if you were to Google me in 2007, eight, nine, 10, you would find my remixes on all the biggest blogs in the world that was in Rolling Stone magazine, Spin magazine, all the music mags kind of showed me, showed me some love at that time. So I was already kind of remixing music and I was, you know, I was in art in high school and used to draw and make remix mashup graphics back then. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't, the, you know, the idea of mashup didn't even exist. The remix did for sure. But uh, going back before that, when I was a little kid, I would watch MTV and I'd hear, I'd watch like a, you know, a Run DMC music video or a Depeche Mode video and I'd hear the music and I just instinctively would sing other words on top of the music. Oh, really, interesting. I, wait, I have no way of explaining it, but that's something I've always kind of done. It's, it's like, how can you take two parts and make a new whole out of two parts? You know, hmm. um, just kind of a very generic uh, expression of what a remix is and that's kind of what I created with Vinyl Ranch it's like how do I take elements of pop culture mix them in with you know this country music iconography and create something new that's fresh and modern that will tickle your heart if you're you know somebody somebody's meemaw and <laughs> or if you are you know a kid in New York City who loves Sylvester and loves you know uh, he knows scenes from Saturday Night Fever by heart. Long story long, Vinyl Ranch really, if, if, if I had to distill it down to a single statement, really is like a hip hop project about country music in some strange twisted way. Which it's super wow. cool. We were <laughs> listening to some of your music before we got on this call. And just to pump up, just to get ourselves <laughs> in, the, in the right, um, the right energetic, the, the right, right vibration. The right vibration. There it is. <laughs> Vibing and thriving. Yeah. And it's so cool because it's it really is these two unexpected parts that seemingly don't make any sense, but really work together. And then when and they're together. They're like, what is this? I don't know, but my whole body is moving. <laughs> so when you're talking, I really latched on to the part where you said you are creating a whole out of two parts. Mm-hmm. And I think this is so interesting that you call yourself a lifestyle brand. That's amazing to me thinking about how you're just out there living life. And then this has also become something that you share and connect with other people through. Um, So talk to us a little bit about when this started to split into you have your personal brand. And I feel like maybe MySpace was a a simpler time, (laughs) which is the understatement of the year. Um, But in creating something that's kind of your byproduct versus now where we have totally separate pages of personal versus brand. Yeah, manufactured. Mm -hmm. Manufactured identities versus having a brand that's representative of who you are first and foremost. Yeah. I should have used the word curated. That's more of a, mm. 
that's more of a buzzword curated i meant curated experiences curated everything it's like i can take a picture of myself in the best the best light and the best something else and i can give you a manufactured i can give you a curated run of manufactured images and videos and expressions whereas pre you know pre i don't want to say pre iphone but it kind of was pre iphone but pre pre social media you know it definitely you were just kind of in the raw whizzy wig in it what you see is what you get <laughs> kind of going that route i did not associate my name to vinyl ranch at all until 2014 oh wow uh, interesting yeah, well, i had a separate i i had a separate identity that that was not interlaced with vinyl ranch at all pre i would say before i like to say pi or right bi like before Instagram, <laughs> before Instagram in 2014, obviously had an Instagram, but I didn't put Vinyl Ranch on Instagram. Um, Vinyl Ranch was its own standalone deal, and I, I typically would DJ under the name Vinyl Ranch. So while Vinyl Ranch initially was just the name of a party, it then became the name of a DJ collective. Mm. And I had people coming in and out of the fold over a couple years, a um, few years, that, that would come on and DJ with me. So there are other, lots of other players here that have kind of come and made contributions and that still do. Um, so in about 2014, when I decided that I wanted to make Vinyl Ranch more of an international thing, I basically crafted this whole, um, uh, I don't want to say like master plan. It wasn't that thought out. But it makes you sound like a little villain. My master plan. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a, definitely a Dr. Evil component to this whole thing, which if I, if I take my cowboy hat off sometimes, you'll see there's also a resemblance. <laughs> yeah, hat, hat fishing, is that what they call it? Yes, uh, and yeah. I just learned that, and it has ruined, I don't, you just it ruined my it? life for a number of reasons. It opened my eyes, and it made me question some things. It was somewhat jarring. Yeah, like a few no. months ago. Men and women always say I have a nice, like a very nice shaped head, so I'm very fortunate that was <laughs> Um, but yeah, I made this decision to, you know, I, I saw that, I saw that in the music industry, there were a lot of people in the lane that I had been in, which was remixing indie rock music and rap music, mashing all that stuff up. It's kind of the same lane that Diplo was in and Girl Talk and all these people. And that lane, while it was really fresh and exciting to me at that time, I'm one of those people that if other people have what I have, I don't want it anymore. <laughs> and that's, its own, that's its own unique neuroses. And I acknowledge that. <laughs> I should probably be therapy for it. But it's kind of a double-edged sword in the way that um, being a sociopath or a narcissist is. And that it, it maybe gives you another couple tools in your toolkit that help you become more successful or keep you on some sort of track or trajectory mm -hmm. and I always kind of use that to my advantage but when I noticed that my lane was becoming increasingly more crowded over the years I lost interest in it <laughs> and mm -hmm. decided like well okay I've got this country music thing I do on the side it's my mistress so Vinyl Ranch is my my dirty mistress that I really wanted I really wanted to be with her but I couldn't <laughs> so I finally decided to leave my wife and be with the mistress in 2014, 13, 14, after much, much thought and, you know, counsel from my uh, attorneys and accountants, I decided maybe it's a good idea 
take all my chips and move them over here and start over with this new project. My other project was really successful. I think um, had I had some of the tools with social media that kids did now, like I would have been, it, I think it would have ended differently. And I'm not, I don't care that it didn't end. I didn't have any expectations. I just started doing something that I loved and it became successful and mm-hmm. I had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I think whenever anybody does something like that, it's like you don't, it's like talking to like I have to talk to accountants all the time now, which is the lamest thing in the world. But accountants are your best friends, so make friends with accountants and be kind to them and pay them what they're worth because they do you a solid in the end. But you know, it's like you don't you don't know what's going to happen. You don't always have an end in mind. You just know that you enjoy doing something, and that's, in my opinion, is like the best way to approach most projects when you're in your twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think about my. I guess I was in my thirties. I, I just kind of decided that I wanted to to develop this this brand and turn this this very simple aspiration and this really simple pure thing that my friend and I had created and turn it into something that people all over the world could experience. I didn't know quite how I was going to get to that that end, but I knew that it could be achieved. And I thought that well, this Instagram thing is funny. Like I literally was working in digital marketing at the time. I went to college for marketing, international business, and audio engineering. I went to college twice. Ah. <laughs> so it was kind of while sitting in class in real time. You know, I'd be sitting next to these like nineteen-year-old bozos, and I was twenty-eight. <laughs> like like that guy nice. has smiled lines like he's a dinosaur. <laughs> sitting there at the desk, and the professor is, you know talking about the golden age of advertising in the 80s and I'm like my eyes are wide open and I'm writing down everything I can and these kids next to me are on Facebook on the computers um, I'm just sidebar um, if you are an, are an adult and you want to go back to school I think that is the most beautiful thing in the world because then it comes from a pure place and you have some sort of idea mm. as to you know what you want in life I wish I had wait well I did wait but uh, when I meet young people that go to school, my niece just graduated high school last year, and she's in school, and she's like, oh, no, you know, I don't know, man, what do I want to do? Like, I just want to, like, be a free spirit. Like, I just love, you know, if I could do anything, I'd just hang out. It's like, well, that's cool. <laughs> you can float now. You can, shit, you can float until you're damn near 30 with that, you know, ethos. Like, I just want to hang out. I'm like, that's cool. We all just want to hang out. That's true. I just think that it came from a pure place, and I didn't have a huge plan in mind. I knew that I had a couple of goals and that there are points in between where I could have um, landmarks, I could create landmarks and one of those, you know, at the time was, okay, I'm doing these parties in Houston every month, why don't I start doing parties in other cities in Texas? So Mm. I started party in Austin whenever I could and then I, you know, slowly over the next year, you know, I was doing after parties at ACL and, you know, a party in South by Southwest, which I'll tell you later, I grew that into its own brand called Hard Country. It's okay. basically like whenever we're able to pick back up, whatever that looks like in the future, uh, with live music in the style of 2019 and before, um, you know, we'll be able to retouch on that. But um, yeah, I just, you know, I thought, well, I, I need to have, I went back and I looked and researched the Grateful Dead and Rolling Stones and looked at what they did. It's like, okay, they have really dope posters like this really brilliant iconography this kind of catalog of logos and imagery and they have live music events and they have really great merchandise and just kind of use that as my model um and also being very like hip-hop about it and doing as much diy as i could Mm. 
and just trying to be, you know, a guy that other people wanted to work with and maybe were always kind of questioned and never, you know, I, I think I, I think I heard one of you use the word enigma, which I feel like I'm often, most people describe me as that because they don't really know what I'm going to give to them each time I meet them or hang with them or produce work with them or for them. Um, just because I think that I've tried to experience as much as I can and put that into my work and I don't want to ever uh, be accused of being a cliche or a biter and that's mm-hmm. kind of what it's me for and that's I think the advantage I have of being in this industry or this lane or whatever you want to call it occupying this position that I have is that I came from the 90s where you were more uh, you, had, you place more emphasis on individualism mm. as opposed to fitting in. So if you look, even if you look at 90s rap, for instance, like uh, you never wanted to jock somebody's style. You never wanted to be what somebody already was. You always wanted to be your own thing. That I don't want. I didn't even want to suggest that I wanted to be a thing that people wanted to copy down the road. But you'd rather be in that position than be the latter. Um, so I think that you know. I looked at some of the, you know, we discussed, um, you know, some of these ideas about, you know, people imitating someone or someone jocking someone's style or someone stealing someone's voice. And I think there's a lot of that happening right now. And I don't know how old some of these people are, but I think in the kind of the like collective consciousness of the social media right now, people feel like it's a safer bet to steal someone's recipe and it's not even that they're stealing it because i don't believe that these kids even recognize that they're stealing anything but if you if you're stealing someone's secret sauce if you're if you're taking someone's secret sauce you're you're stealing it Mm -hmm. Um, also also you are i'm i'm not i'm also not one to talk like i'm a remix artist like i take things from people and i turn them into something else and that's what that's what i feel like is so unique about my brand is that I'm doing this and, and in a way that is genuine and is, to my knowledge, had never been done before. And that's what's so special about it. And that's why I think that my, um, my brand has been successful. And now you can just come up and see what I've done. And to use the analogy of a book and a recipe, I've kind of laid a recipe out for people so they can pick right up. Um, and they can, they can do vinyl ranch, quote unquote, they can, but they can't because you're 3d printing my expression. My expression was handcrafted over 20 years. Um, vinyl ranch has been around since 2007. So I've got years of record collecting, years of relationships, years of roots in the ground years. And I'm from, you know, I have, I'm from Texas. Um, I grew up outside of Austin in the whole country near Lukenbach where, you know, the, you know, the song. <laughs> you know the song. I was born in Saginaw, Michigan. There's a very famous song. Oh, no way. I mean, all of these things that you couldn't even make up. Like, I, yeah. I mm-hmm. just all of these things in my life have checked all of these boxes. I was a, I've been a DJ. I've been working in nightlife since I was 18 years old and one day for the most part. So, my entire life, I've been in nightclubs, music venues. I've been a club promoter, a DJ, a bartender, a bar manager, liquor inventory manager. Um, sound guy if i had to merch person i've done every i've flipped i've i've cleaned every corner i've dusted with a white glove every ledge like I've, I've done it all at this point so when someone steps up and tries to hijack my my identity or the, the voice of my brand it's kind of like i feel bad for them 
<laughs> don't you want to don't you want to have your own legacy that isn't someone else's oh that's uh, true there's a really great there's a really great Lil Wayne podcast uh, not podcast interview that came out a long time ago and he essentially said the same thing um and it's not that's not a unique position really I just think that I wish people would spend more time on self-discovery than just emulating someone else's artistic expression to that to that degree Absolutely. Okay. I'm influenced by so many people and so many things. I think it's 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 beautiful to be influenced by others, but there's a difference between influence and stealing someone's voice completely, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's the thing. I don't think you have to reinvent the wheel when you're right. starting something new, but you certainly have to have your own take on it. You mm-hmm. don't have to reinvent it, but you can't just rebuild it. So yeah. I'm wondering what was going through your mind then. I'm going to circle back to you mentioning you going back to school, sitting in a classroom, taking all of these notes about the golden age of marketing while other people around you are <laughs> not paying any attention. And you have this whole cadre of experiences that, that you've just given to us. How are you then in your mind piecing all of these bits together to string up what we see now as this like brilliant face of not just your brand but your life and then making yourself a really successful online presence that then grows and builds your business and promotes you with without you even having to do anything but be yourself wait can you repeat that i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh no please don't make me Okay. Um, I didn't, you know, kind of, like I said before, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have, I didn't have a, there was no hindsight or rule book or anything. So I didn't really know what I was doing, but fast forward to 2020. Now I have all of this hindsight. I can go back and say, well, I recognize that I wanted to go back. Just talking about the education thing. I was always big on education, but I come from a family where nobody has formal education. Um, so I never felt like that was attainable until I got to be a little older and I had older meaning 22, mm. 23. And then I started to meet people who were very influential. A lot of people um, to this day that I'm still very close with um, that influenced me and inspired me quite a bit and decided that, okay, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get some formal education and marketing and business because I recognize that this is the most business driven economy in the history of planet Texas. So I need to, I need to get some sort of education on my belt. But at that time, Vinyl Ranch wasn't, I didn't have t-shirts. I had a single t-shirt. I did not have a t-shirt company. I did not have a, you know, email newsletter. I didn't have all of these things. I didn't have a website for Vinyl Ranch really just had these parties that I did. But I did have my other um, career in music as a remixer and a DJ, and I was doing very well. At this time, not even to talk about money, but I'll just, as an example, because a lot of DJs still don't even make this much money 12 years later. Um, When I released this mixtape, it was a mixtape called Life of the Party that I put out in 2008 that was picked up by Rolling Stone like the weekend I put it out on Memorial Day. And it was a mixtape that was comprised of a handful of them were remixes that I had made in my apartment. Uh, but it was like a mashup of club music and um, indie rock anthems. There was a lot of like heavy and yeah, 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 LCD sound system, MIA, um, 
a lot of rap, a lot of classic rap stuff. So I put that out and that picked up. And this club owner, hotel club owner guy in Dallas saw the write-up somewhere. Oh, there was a write-up in a local, like, uh, what would you call it? Um, the Socialite Rag in Houston called Modern Luxury. I think there's one in Dallas as well. That's how he saw it. So he saw the story about me in um, the Modern Luxury, contacts somebody. So I, d- I didn't have an agent at that time, but he contacted someone who reached out to me who was some sort of local agent, talent buyer guy. Um, his name's Dan. He came out of J&D Entertainment. He hits me up and asks me, it's like, hey, blah, blah, blah. Hotel Zaza in Houston wants you to, wants to talk to you about becoming a new resident DJ. And at that time, Hotel Zaza was like the hottest spot in Houston. That's where all the celebrities would stay when they came into town. Lady Gaga stayed there. One night, you know, Robin Thicke was there. Um, all of the professional athletes would hang out. There was a club there called The Monarch, a restaurant, bar, club. Turned into a club post 10 p.m. It was a nightclub. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's what I was doing at that time. I was making, while I was in college, I was making 1500 a night, and I was DJing two and three nights a week at this spot which was right down the street from my house probably there was no uber i would drive up there yeah i was making way more money than i needed at at the time i was just very fortunate and i was in college and i was going to this really nice private catholic university Um, and at that time i was solely focused on developing my brand as a dj who was in the lane that i that i occupied at the time which is club music and you know a little bit of rap but mostly i was just caught up in my universe that I created in the music blog community. And that was priority. Secondary to that, Vinyl Ranch, I think there was a period of time of two years where I didn't do anything with Vinyl Ranch. And maybe it was 2010 to 2012. I think there was a two-year hiatus. Lee, my partner in the beginning, moved to New York. And then he put the bug in my ear initially about, hey, you need to come and do Vinyl Ranch up in New York. And that's kind of, I'll talk about that a little later on the, you know, uh, enterprising component of the vinyl ranch dj party but yeah i just thought that you know i can go and i can take these real time i can take this information that i'm learning in school and apply it real time to these music projects and then very shortly after um i ended up applying that stuff to vinyl ranch and making it a little more um large appear to be more larger than life than it actually was and i learned how to do that through mark through formal marketing mostly through the golden age of marketing and advertising. There was a book called, uh, I'd have to think about it, but it's this iconic book in academia about the golden age of marketing and advertising. But my grandfather, who was a country musician, who was actually a gay country musician in the 60s and 70s, I think my grandpa came out when he was about 50. But uh, he was one of those guys that was just, he would just say, oh, he's like, look, look at him. He's so eccentric. He's an eccentric. <laughs> Mm. Like, no, I'm just a gay man. Eccentric. I don't know. We might need to review all of these eccentric characters in history and go. Back, oh, they're actually just gay men. They weren't eccentric at all. Yes. <laughs> they're yes. Eccentric, like the average gay man is, which I think is beautiful. But my grandfather was an advertising dude, and my mom always, whenever my mom and, and I drink cheap wine together and shoot the shit and talk about family stuff, she always mentions how I'm. Uh, she sees very much my grandfather and everything that I do. He was an advertising guy. I'm 
I inherited a bunch of his inherited. Is that the correct word? Whenever he passed away, my mom gave me a box of his things. <laughs> um, and <laughs> he had all of these little mead notebooks and with all of these scribblings, like these advertising kind of slogan scribblings. He was one of those slogan guys. I think oh, maybe cool. for where he was at that point in his life or where he was geographically uh, living outside of Detroit, there was maybe like some sort of like you'd call like the dot-com boom, I don't know, where Detroit, the automotive industry, was maybe hiring people to write slogans for them or big corporations. I don't know. But this guy thought that he he literally, um, what's the Coke is it? There's a Pepsi slogan too. Book, books and notebooks and notebooks. Full of these insane, I need to start, I need to post them somewhere because actually I don't. I need to. I need to absorb them all. <laughs> Don't share those. <laughs> Not yet. No, no. Some, of it, some, of it, some of this shit is genius. Genius. Like, so good. But, uh, yeah, that guy, that's, like, my DNA. Like, it's just in my DNA. It's so effortless. And my mom works in marketing, and she just effortlessly, like, shit just, like, flies off the tongue, like, all day. So if you, like, look at my captions or some of the T-shirt things or remixes I do, like, it's just, it's always happening. Processes are happening in the background all the time. And I don't even have control of it. They just come out at will. It's nuts. Which truly is very inspirational because I <laughs> probably, on, on a very regular basis, will say to Angela, like, have you seen, have you seen Dave's latest post? Have you seen that meme? How do people come up with this shit? Because it is. And then that's funny, but then the caption is like it's something all on another level. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. one-two punch. The captions usually the, the one-two punch. So hopefully people read the captions. I, I do want to say that I do not consider Vinyl Ranch a meme page or a meme project. Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of people come online and they discover it usually because someone tags them in something, right? Mm-hmm. Some foreigner outsider from another galaxy discovers it and it's like oh check out this meme page I'm like oh they sell t-shirts and like dj party why would i go to that or uh or you know it could be a number of things but i will use this moment to promote the next leg in this adventure for vinyl ranch probably three or four years ago i knew i always knew that i was going to turn vinyl ranch into a record label i don't want to say record label but would offer the component of releasing artists' original music. So I will say that. Call mm. it what you will. Ooh, very cool. I'm finally getting underway. I just had a one-hour chat with the record-pressing plant in Austin. I've been working on my a and I've got all my guys lined up. My bands are submitting music. So it's going to be really cool. It's going to be different from what's out there, what anyone has seen before. I know everyone thinks that whenever they get into a project. It's like, well, ultimately, you're releasing physical product, hopefully, and streaming. And you're going to make money on publishing. <laughs> or, pretty simple. It's yeah. a pretty simple business. It's also a really shady business. So yeah. I've taken the counsel of some friends of mine who've been in the biz for quite a while that are kind of helping me distill this down to like the most fair and business. Um, what's the best way to say that? I'm like a total schmuck. <laughs> Trying try to find the equilibrium of cost benefit and everybody gets what they deserve while simultaneously operating a successful business i'll say that Mm. um but i don't i don't want you know i don't want to steal from artists or you know these phony administrative costs to recoup documents and like yeah i'm not trying to do that hey i try to keep vinyl ranch in in spirit of what a cowboy is and just vinyl ranch is an urban cowboy lifestyle brand right like that's yeah. the way the way 
private now. It's an urban cowboy lifestyle brand, kind of reimagining what an urban cowboy is. Obviously, some of us ride horses, a lot of us don't. Um, you don't need to ride a horse to be a cowboy. Um, mm. Sorry. Or a cowgirl, excuse me. Cowboy, cowgirl. But just kind of taking it, simplifying it, living off the land, using resources that are around you, um, being good to people and being fair and being strong and being courageous and doing right by others at all costs when at all possible. Um, and that's kind of the, for the most part, I would say those are, those would be a part of the Viral Ranch mission statement and everything that I do, whether a conscious choice or not, like that's generally the way it goes. And I'm moving forward as I bring more, more people into this experience under this umbrella. I try, I'm, I'm, I really want everyone to be taken care of. I also need to take care of myself, but um, if, if you ever meet someone who's, who's, who's worked with me, for instance, the show we did in um, Tulsa, like I didn't get paid any money. I just threw this party and was trying to give these bands money to pay their rent. And like, mm. generally, right, that's how I operate. Um, I'll sell merchandise. I'll make money that way. Or I'll get, you know, I'll overcharge Google to DJ some dumb party and make my money that way. Casual. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do it all the time. And, you know, back when, you know, Pre, pre vinyl ranch as we know it now when it was just a single DJ night I was DJ I was a fashion corporate kind of like sports DJ I DJ you know Sony NBA all-star weekend resident DJ for stuff like that and then would DJ you know Tom Ford fashion shows and <laughs> opening parties for Chanel and I DJ John Barbados's book launch party and so I was just in a different bracket altogether a different sphere of everything um but I learned slowly that, oh, I can marry these two. And also now that the kind of like the country Western aesthetic has become more popular and more accepted and more embraced across all um, blocks of life, I think it's, 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 it's a good time. You know, it, over the past five years, it's, it's felt like things are kind of coming into phase and it's a good time to marry myself to this thing as opposed to keeping a wall between the two of us. To this mistress, please. <laughs> Some respect. (laughs) Your leading lady. (laughs) My wife. wife. (laughs) Okay, so now I'm really curious, though, because this has come up a couple of times about you not identifying this as, like, these memes are just a byproduct of what you're doing. But it does seem to be something that, like you said, a lot of people identify with you or with the brand of Vinyl Ranch. So I'm wondering how those evolved. Like, how did it come to be that these were all over your page? Because it is, if nothing else, an interesting byproduct that, like you said, not all cowboys and cowgirls have to ride horses. So how are you bringing people together in this space? And how are memes uniting us? (laughs) How aren't they? (laughs) The meme thing, I don't know. When I first started the Vinyl Ranch Instagram, I knew that my good friend Maurice who's a part of the Vinyl Ranch family, he said something to me once that I never forgot. And he, he, he said, uh, I don't remember the context now, but he said, everything we do has got to be larger than life. Mm. So I created the Instagram for Vinyl Ranch. That was kind of the subtext. It's like, okay, I understand that I can't put out larger than life content all day, every day, 50 times a day. But when I first started the Vinyl Ranch Instagram in 2014, I was posting 30 times a day. Wow. 30 times. But there was no algorithm. There was not like none of that. So to that point, even when I would release a product on Instagram, for instance, there would be a, a t-shirt. I put the t-shirt up. I have 
1,100 followers. I put the t-shirt up for pre-sale. The second I refresh after I post it, I've got 60 likes, like seconds later, and a bunch of comments and people wanting to pre-order it. Now the way you interface with Instagram is so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, bizarro. So I've actually been trained to, <laughs> trained by my algorithm um, to to post more meme content. And I don't do it because I love, I'm passionate about making memes. Like, I'm a 40-year-old man. Do you think I want to spend my time? It's like, no. I'm, a, I'm a literally, when, if you ever wonder what I'm doing, it's 4.14. If I were not on the phone with you, obviously would be out running. Or I would be on an auction website collecting Studio 54 and disco memorabilia and fine art from the 70s on auction websites. That's what a 40-year-old man <laughs> with a wife and kids is, is doing. Uh, or like, or like buying, buying rare wine or trying to find a place to buy. That's what I'm actually doing. So I'm someone who's part of the Vinyl Ranch family. It's a group effort for the most part. I've got a few other people that, I mean, there are a handful of people that contribute in various capacities. But there's, you know, I have like a meme, I don't want to say a meme ghostwriter, but a collaborator. We're, he's not a ghostwriter. He tends to be all day long, you know. Three out of ten of them will use. Some of them don't work. Some of them miss the mark. Some of them are too risque. I've got myself into hot water a few times because I did not copy right some of the memes that um, Craig has sent, sent, sent to me. But uh, I also repost other people's stuff. And, you know, I like to support the community. And if somebody posts some shit that's dank, dank meme fire, like I'll repost it. I don't really care. I don't care. In regards to the meme stuff, like, people are so funny and so serious about about their memes. I don't watermark a damn thing. Who cares? Like, I stole a picture of George Strait. Some <laughs> AP, you know, credible photographer put up, and I put some text on it that was inspired by somebody else. I'm not going to get mad at you because you repost it and don't credit me or be, like, you know, super extra in the comments calling people thieves and saying terrible <laughs> People are so, like, disconnected have lost the plot in, in, entirely. Who cares? Like, who really cares? I certainly don't. <laughs> Life um, is bigger than the internet. There, I mean, there are a couple of brands out there. I don't want to say brands. There are a couple of, I'll say, entities, Instagram, maybe they identify as brands, that one of them has straight up stolen one of my designs and resells it and turns the comments off because they have a beef with me. (laughs) Yeah. They're literally selling. I stopped selling one of my shirts. When people ask me to buy the shirt, I direct them to their website. Damn. Yeah. I'm like, why don't you go buy it from these people that stole it from me? They literally posted it and said, vinyl ranch doesn't copyright any of their stuff. You can literally just take it off the internet and resell it. Whatever. Yeah. They're just trying to antagonize me and pull me into some sort of battle. And I don't even want to, like, I'm too, I don't want to say I'm too good for that. I'm just not that petty. Yeah. I don't really, also, like, you're, this is, like, I'm arguing in in a phone, like, really? So let's touch on that before we wrap up, because I know that we have a lot of people listening that are just getting into some of this stuff. They are inspired and one of the first walls you hit outside of inspiration is like somebody stealing your stuff, how you feel about that. Um, So talk to us a little bit about copyrights, trademarks, lawyers, all that fun stuff. Intellectual property. Yes, intellectual property. 
Um, and that balance that you have between like something is going to go grow its own legs and promote you and who cares if it gets stolen and something that you want to protect. That's kind of what I've learned, the double-edged sword of copyright. P- people are really funny. I meet people all the time that tell me, hey, I'm starting a, starting my own brand of refrigerators or I'm, you know, I've got this, I'm inventing this, this jacket, this thing for a lawnmower or I'm starting my <laughs> shirt. All the time. <laughs> Out, outlandish shit. I wish, sidebar really fast, like I want to start another, I want to start a podcast for people that have lots, I don't want to say lots of Instagram followers, people that have any, again, I, I hate to use the word influencer because I feel like that's as filthy as saying hipster. I don't <laughs> but people that are, have some influence, right? That have like the conversations they have with perfect strangers in their DMs about Ooh. things. And some of it is like very heartwarming and it's very genuine and I'm not discrediting those people. It's great to communicate, but sometimes there's the person it's like the pretty girl who has the guy that sends 50 messages you never respond. It's them having a conversation with themselves. Yeah. <laughs> those situations where some, sometimes people are just asking me some of these questions. And I want to respond to everyone when I can, even if it's just simple, forward, something. But I think there's a market out there for a conversation between people that have influence about conversations they have in their DM. <laughs> And what what that looks like. like I'm on board. Things, I've read some things. I've said some things. <laughs> Damn, really? Ugh. Didn't think I was gonna stoop this low. Or I don't know. It's it's nuts. Long story long. Copyright IP. I've I I have a junior college education in copyright now. Um, via running a remix project, I've learned quite a bit about what you can get away with, what you cannot. In regards directly going back to where we first started, um, copywriting, uh, uh, patenting, copywriting, anything. People want to copyright something that doesn't, I don't say that no one wants, but what's the value in copywriting a thing that doesn't exist yet in the marketplace? Um. It's different. It's like I drew a picture of a starfish and I'm going to put it on a t-shirt in 10 years. I'm going to copyright it right now. It's like, okay, like, why don't you save your money? Why don't you develop you're probably, why don't you keep on keeping on and revisit whenever you put something to market here's kind of what I'm dealing with right now is I have 50 to 100 different designs on my website at all times and some of them are genius some of them are um, clickbait some of them are illegal <laughs> some of them I'm very passionate about some of them are things I created while smoking weed, drinking ginger peach tea, <laughs> that don't mean anything, and often those are the ones that hit the hardest, which is so funny. <laughs> listen to any listen to any Gwen Stefani interview from way back, and she'll say, "Yeah, I wrote Don't Speak while I was taking a shit in like thirty seconds, and like that's our biggest song." It's stuff, stuff like that. And you, know, you just it just comes off the dome, and that's it is what it is. Copywriting something means you're legally obligated to protect it, so. I don't want to protect anything necessarily. There are a few things I want to protect, some of them. Um, my country and Western deal is copyrighted, though I don't put register, you know, trademark or any of that stuff on my designs. Like some of them, the, the iconic ones that I've been selling over and over for years, those are definitely copyrighted. Um, but it's just like you don't want to see somebody violate copyright because then that 
stuff to consume your bandwidth, and then you're worried about it, and then you've got to call lawyers. And it's just this money pit. And it's like, who has time? A, who has time for it? B, in the end, when you finally take it to court, whoever's got more money is going to win most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've obviously received, as you would imagine, a ton of cease and desists from various entities from, I probably shouldn't say, but country music artists to like footwear brands to very famous modern artists to um, very notable modern arts to um, artists' rights societies, like all sorts of things. Um, And, you know, I've been counseled by my attorney, my IP guy in Houston. And, you know, in a nutshell, what I've learned is you can get away with quite a bit, but is it worth the money fighting it? And Mm. 99 times out of 100, if you know you borrowed you, you borrowed something and maybe didn't change it enough, um, then maybe you should just do do the right thing and um, agree to cease and desist. <laughs> I do without putting myself into hot water or admitting any sort of guilt or anything. That's just a part of the game. Like I, even when I was a music remixer, this would happen to me all the time. Obviously, I'll talk about that. Um, I did a Lady Gaga remix of born this way the night it came out when the single dropped and it was up on the internet i think like 1 a.m and i was already receiving cease and desist from her label wow i mean that happened all that happens all the time you have people that are their job is to enforce trademarks and copyrights and stuff so um i think if you can get away with not doing it just don't do it but if you if you want to explore that there's you know there's a huge subculture of people that love bootleg merchandise and i don't want to say bootleg that love bootleg means you are making fake nike products Mm -hmm. and i don't i mean like the gucci t-shirt is a great example you'll find globally there's this huge market for bootleg gucci Mm -hmm. which is designers basically taking the gucci logo and making their own gucci t-shirt and the grateful dead are really cool about it they actually encourage to my understanding they built this whole i mean obviously there's the entire community and culture of Grateful Dead, but they built their own self-sustaining economy around it too. If you go to a Grateful Dead show and you go out to the lot, they basically give you the design assets and say, here is a template for making Grateful Dead merchandise. We have these three iconic images that you can turn into anything and you can sell them and you can stay on the road with us for this entire year by hawking your wares in the parking lot before the show. And that's kind of how the Deadheads I have a bunch of, de- I have a few deadheads, actually, I have a lot of deadheads in my family. And that's kind of what they do. And I've learned through, you know, friends that are in that, in, you know, into that community and subculture, that that's kind of how that works. Um, so in that regard, like, it's cool to do like stuff and it's cool to remix and reimagine. But whenever you start dealing with, you know, Brooks and Dunn and Garth Brooks and guys like that, they don't see, maybe they don't see the value. Or, <laughs> or, I mean, this is really important to uh, note. They don't have people on their team that are living the 2020 business social media reality. They don't understand the value. Um, somebody like me, or someone like me, not not me personally, but um, a brand like mine who embraces an era and kind of breathes new life into it, that makes, the, I don't want to say makes them relevant. Like, God mm. doesn't need anybody to make him relevant. But it opens them up. It opens up this door, this filthy door. Um, <laughs> into the dirty closet where all of the humans live bootleg merchandise <laughs> I, need to, I need to find a better 
I need to find a replacement for the word bootleg because I don't mean bootleg. It's something else. It's like um, the unofficial, I'll say unofficial, the unofficial merchandise that independent designers make that isn't picked up by the brands or the artists or whatever. I don't know, but I feel like there's something great in there with like a cowboy boot and something that you can use to your advantage here. <laughs> oh, totally agree. Bootleg, that's fun. Boot cut, that's bootleg. That's funny. <laughs> boot cut. Ah. ah, ah. There we go. All right, so he is better at this. <laughs> and this is why he's the professional, and, and, and we are not. It all comes full circle. <laughs> hey, shout out, shout out to everybody in my DMs who's, who's uh, sharing their brilliant t-shirt ideas with me on a daily basis. Ooh. I don't, not that I don't need your help, but the second I take somebody's t-shirt idea, then I'm going to, at some point, they're going to want money in their hand. They're going to want cash money yes. in their right hand. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Thank you for your ideas. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate them. But thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> Just a friendly reminder. <laughs> well, there you... Thanks, but, you know, I can't. Like, sorry. Yeah. 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 Well, there you have it, folks. You have the advice. You have the story. You have a lot of inspiration going forward, and I was certainly so intrigued to hear all of this because, again, I feel like I missed out. I didn't go to Tulsa with Abby, and... You did miss out. Yeah. I missed out <laughs> on a lot of her bullshit, and I think a lot of fun stuff, too, so... <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, I answered some of these questions that you had and gave some clarity to what it is that I'm doing over here. <laughs> no, absolutely, and I think a huge takeaway from this is being true to yourself in the way you present yourself because authenticity sells above everything else and when you're working to always be mindful of learning from your own mistakes learning from what other people are doing but putting your own spin on that and finding all the unique ways to really make it work for you because at the end of the day that's ultimately the best marketing strategy you know to some to some degree if instagram went bankrupt and it went away I would be fine if you were to come back to me. If, if Instagram went away and you came back six months later, there's a high likelihood I'd still be doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of going back to what I said in the beginning, like this is just my life. It's a lifestyle. It's There's some, uh, what's the best adjective? There's some, there are a few elements of theatrics and pageantry here and there, like a little bit, but it's just a little. It's, it's fun. Like, I'm, I'm a Leo, so I'm mm, going to make it. There it is. I'm going to make it my story. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, thank you, Dave, so much for being yeah. on today with us. We totally Amazing. appreciated this. Tell us where everyone can find you online, whether that's social media, your websites, upcoming projects. Where can they find you on the interwebs? Um, everything by design is at Vinyl Ranch. So if you need to find me on, on across all social media is Vinyl Ranch. Um, even OnlyFans is Vinyl Ranch. It might be, <laughs> it might be, it might be Vinyl Launch. Ooh, Ooh there it is. Ooh, does it get warmer in here? <laughs> no, Vinyl Ranch across the board. Haven't, if you somehow haven't heard of him before, Definitely go check out all of his pages, but absolutely listen to the music too, because it will change things for you. So thank you for listening to another episode of the Breaking Western Podcast season three. We'll see you all next week.